Our midweek Bible study will resume this coming Wednesday evening, May the 5th. We are needing volunteers to help with our summer mowing. The lawn mower and gas is provided. There is a sign-up sheet on the foyer board, if you would do that, please. Remember in your prayers, Yvonne Cornell, it says she's having knee replacement this Tuesday. That's been canceled till later in the month. Keep Carol in your prayers. Clinton was telling us they didn't, were not able to remove the kidney stone this week. She'll be in the hospital today or tomorrow, come home, and then next week, week Tuesday, if everything goes good. So keep Carol and Clinton in your prayers. Dottie Edwards-Hager will be having double knee replacement Wednesday at Portsmouth. Keep her in your prayers. Also, Wayne is still experiencing some couple issues. Keep him in your prayers as they uh, set up another surgery for him in the next week or so. Also, it's good to see Randy Ash. I think this is the first time Randy's been, been able to be here. We're glad for that. Also, remember Kristen, Rusty, and others that are going through treatments and recovering from recent surgeries. Be sure to check the prayer list in today's bulletin. And keep those that have lost loved ones in your prayers also. Have one card to read this morning. There are not enough words to fully express our heartfelt gratitude for the sympathy, love, and support the church has extended to our family during this time of loss. The cards, calls, visits, food, and especially prayers have touched our hearts. Thank you for the support, comfort you provided. It's greatly appreciated. Mary Alice and Dean Cooper's family. I'd like to read this morning from Colossians 3, verses 15, 16, and 17, if you'd like to follow along. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life, for your Son who came and died for us, for the opportunity to be here to worship you. We pray, Father, that we do it in a way that's pleasing unto you. Bless us as we go through this service. Be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson, as we surround thy table, and as we, John leads us in singing. We pray for our sick and our shut-ins. Be with Carol and Yvonne and Wayne, and we're thankful for Randy for being able to be here this morning and continue to be with the Cooper family. Bless each and every one of us. Forgive us in thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 687. 687. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. We'll sing the first three verses. Good 
Next hymn this morning, number 722, 722, we have heard the joyful sound. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse, and after that, Brother Jason Stevens will have our scripture reading and prayer. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus said, Jesus said, Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful spring day today. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship you. We pray that our worship today will be in truth and in spirit. Lord, we pray that you will be with those who are hurting this day, be with those families who are mourning, be with those who are suffering. We pray that you will help us to help them and pray that you give us all strength to do that. Pray that you'll be with those who are sick, be with those who are attending to the sick, Lord, watch over them. Lord, we pray that you'll be with our children pray that you will be with those who are growing, and we pray that you will also be with those who are transitioning, those who are graduating from either high school or college, and that you will bless them and watch over their steps, keep them healthy and safe, and we pray that you'll help them to always look to you for guidance and strength. Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom, give us discernment, give us the ability to know how you would have us to do, and we pray that you will continue to give us strength and watch over us and forgive us when we do fall short. Go with us now as we continue in worship, and it's through Jesus we pray. Amen. The reading this morning is from the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Numbers 6, 1 through 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When either a man or woman takes a special vow to take a vow as a Nazarite, 
to separate himself to the Lord. He must separate himself from wine and strong drink. He must drink neither vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from strong drink, nor may he drink any juice of grapes nor eat any grapes or raisins. All the days of his separation, he must not eat anything that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor may be used on his head until the time is fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He will be holy, and he must let the locks of hair on his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he must not contact a dead body. He must not defile himself even for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister if they die, because the separation for his God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he must be holy to the Lord. Next in this morning, number 622. 622, tell me the story of Jesus. Tell me the story of We've come to the part of our service where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus gave on our behalf. As the screen says, this do in remembrance of me. We take this time to think about the suffering, the agony that he went through. 
the best way to remember what he did for us was to read what he did for us. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 16. And know that when I read this, that he wasn't just physically suffering. He, he was in anguish from being mocked, as the psalm said, despised, ridiculed, and humiliated, and he was alone. Mark 15, verse 16. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes to cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this king of Israel, Come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. We see the passage where it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What this is really meaning is at this point in time, Jesus had the sins of the world on him. And God had to turn away. So as we partake of these emblems, this bread that represents his body, which he offered on our behalf, and the fruit of vine, which represents his blood, remember the anguish that he went through, the mockery, the insults, and the aloneness. Let's ask a blessing on the bread. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for his willingness to take upon him all of our sins and to suffer the agony that he went through and to die on the cross on our behalf. Lord, we thank you so much for that sacrifice because we know that we could never make it ourselves. Lord, we ask that you now be with us as we partake of this bread that represents his body. We pray that you bless it and bless us. Be with us and forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's ask the blessing on the fruit of the vine. 
Father in heaven, again, we come before you thanking you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for his blood that was shed on our behalf that is used to wash away our sins. Lord, we thank you for his sacrifice and his willingness to do so. Lord, we pray that you will bless this fruit of the vine that, as it represents that blood. And pray that you will bless it and bless us as we partake of it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Aside from the Lord's Supper, we, pre-COVID times, would take this opportunity to take up the offering. We still have uh, receptacles in the back, which you can place your offering. This is something that can be done, needs to be done from the heart that only us, as individuals, can do. It goes to um, take care of things around here, to also spread the word both here and support all the missionaries that we support. If you would, at this time, let's ask the blessing on the offering. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for the many, many blessings you've given us. Lord, we thank you for the ability that we have to provide for ourselves, for our families, to live the lives that we live. Lord, we've just, we know that you've blessed us beyond what we deserve. Lord, at this time we pray that you'll bless our offering and that we do so in a loving way and that it will go to the things that you would have it go to. Lord, we pray that you'll be with those that are in charge of taking care of the offering. pray that you'll be with them and watch over them. Lord, again, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. For it's through Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing 833, 833. At this time, the young children can go to the Bible class. Bring out the message. There's a message truly planned for the sinful and the sad. Bring it out. Bring it out. It will give you courage to help them to be true. Bring it out. Bring it Sing and doubt we sweep away, till the song of death. 
Him this morning, number 667. 667. There's power in the blood. This time for the curse. It's so good to see each one of you with us again this morning. You know, it's uh, it's good to be getting back to uh, the things that we remember and the things that we want to be doing. And so we're grateful that Bible Hour is back. We're grateful that uh, Sunday night services are back. And, now, if you guys can just figure out how to make the allergies go away, we'll be very happy. It's so good to see so many of you this morning. I noticed Miss Jenny was here this morning. It's good to see you, and Randy, and so many of you that uh, that we've been missing. We love you guys, and it's just good to, to be back to close to normal at least. And we're getting back, I feel like, to a place where we can continually call it uh, normal. So, this morning... Think so? Okay, there we go. Uh, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, We're not going through a large passage of Scripture like we have been uh, over the last several weeks. Uh, Mark is one of those um, books that's written in narrative form, obviously. It's the story of Jesus' life. And so Mark wants to paint a picture for you. and He's got a point. Mark is not just telling you Jesus' story. He's not just walking through Jesus' life as a record of the things that Jesus said and did. Mark is a preacher. He has a point. And he's using these different stories from Jesus' life as illustrations for his greater uh, principle that he's trying to teach us. And so it's really helpful, usually, for us to look at a large portion of Scripture so we can say, oh, we can see Mark's point very clearly there um, because he's going to say his point, he's going to illustrate it, and he might say it again or say it in a different way. But today, in some respects, we're kind of getting at what Mark has been trying to get to all throughout his gospel. So we're only looking about 10 or 12 verses this morning, um, but I think they're really, really important. This is Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46. You're probably familiar with this story. Uh, it's about a man named Bartimaeus. And so today we get to meet a blind man who saw clearly, more clearly, than anyone else around him. It's not usually the the way things go, is it? But this man sees clearly. Mark is all about who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him. And so there's a couple of different components here that we need to be reminded of. Who is Jesus? He's going, Mark is going to give us miracle after miracle after teaching after teaching, convincing us, beyond the shadow of a doubt, who Jesus really is. If we're honest with ourselves, Mark would say if our hearts are open, then it's clear who Jesus is. He is God and there's no way around it. And so what are you going to do with him? Well, Mark would say submit to him unreservedly and without question every single time. And so we come into what does a disciple look like? Which is a pertinent question for us today, isn't it? What does a disciple look like? look like? How do we act? How do we think? What do we do? Bartimaeus is the quintessential disciple. He is the model disciple. Now, if you just read through the story very quickly, we've talked about this before, right? If you just read through these stories very quickly, you miss some of what they're trying to say. You can get the story, but you miss some very important points. Today, We're going to walk through this story, but I want you to pay special close attention to the words in this story because Mark is leaving us breadcrumbs. 
that we need to follow to get to his point. Remember, Bartimaeus is the model disciple. And so Mark's going to tell us a little bit about Bartimaeus. Let's read the story, starting in verse 46. And we're going to talk about what a disciple ought to be, ought to do. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So, just a base level reading, we get some things about Bartimaeus that we need to remember, right? Bartimaeus is convinced that Jesus can heal him. Now, how he has come by that knowledge, Mark doesn't let us in on that little tidbit of information. But he is convinced that Jesus can heal him. Listen to what he does here. And we'll come back to some of these points later because Mark's just kind of wrapping this story um, around the model disciples. So some of these points we need to talk about a couple of times. Um, Bartimaeus is blind, sitting beside the road to Jericho. Jesus is exiting Jericho. If you look back through uh, your scriptures, you'll find the other things that he was doing in Jericho. Because Mark just kind of opens this story up saying, well, that's when they started leaving Jericho. Well, what, are they, what were they doing in Jericho? That's one of your questions this week on the front of the bulletin. I've got several questions uh, to kind of help you work through more of this story. And that's one of them. What were they doing in Jericho? It's kind of interesting, right? Remember, Mark wants you to pull the strands. And that's a strand he's left for you. They were coming out of Jericho. And so our mind immediately goes to, what were they doing in Jericho? So pull that strand this week. So they're leaving Jericho. And all of a sudden, Jesus hears this voice. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. How did Bartimaeus come by this knowledge that Jesus was the one who could save him? What sets Jesus apart from anybody else? Like I said, Mark doesn't really tell us, but implied here in Mark is Bartimaeus has been pulling the strands. He's been hearing about Jesus' teaching and about his miracles, and so he has become convinced that Jesus is the answer to his problems. Now, the term he uses for Jesus of Nazareth is really mistranslated here. And there's a couple of words in this passage that are not translated right. Uh, so maybe, maybe you grab a pencil today and, and start writing notes in your text. But Jesus of Nazareth is not really Nazareth. It's Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus the Nazarene. Now, in our minds, that may not make a huge difference to us, right? Because he's just talking about where Jesus is from, right? Jesus is from a small village made up of about, made up of about 50 families. It's called Nazareth. That's not all Mark is saying when he says Jesus the Nazarene, though. Mark is, obviously, I keep coming back to this point. Mark is a clever writer, but this is inspiration, so every word is important. And so why is Mark pointing out for us that Jesus is a Nazarene? He only does this two times. Did you know that in Mark? He only does this two times. And so things that Mark only does once or twice or only a couple times in his script and his gospel, you need to pay special close attention to. As a matter of fact, that's why we're studying Bartimaeus's story today, because this is the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel. Starting in uh, Mark eight verse twenty-six, Peter makes this proclamation of who Jesus is, and after that, the miracles kind of cease. They they kind of stop. There's a couple after that, three or four or five. But this is the last healing miracle that Mark's going to include for us. And so when Mark starts talking about miracles after Mark chapter 8, verse 26, we really need to start paying attention because there's something there he's trying to prove to us. And so 
I think the point he's trying to get across to us today is Bartimaeus is the model disciple. We need to be a whole lot more like him. But what's he say? What's he meaning here when he says Jesus of Nazar, Jesus the Nazarene? It's not just the city where he was from. He's a Nazarite, right? He's a Nazarite. Jason read for us this morning from Numbers chapter six about the Nazarite vow. These are people who have set themselves aside. They have purposed themselves for God. They are holy. They're 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 set aside, right? They have dedicated their lives to following God's agenda for a specific period of time. They are devoted to God. Now, they're going to be devoted to God for the rest of their life, but for a specific period of time, they've got an agenda, a job. You see Paul taking a Nazarite vow. You see Samuel, the, the, the prophet in the Old Testament, Samuel taking a Nazarite vow. He was a Nazarite. You also see, obviously, the most famous Nazarites, probably Samson, right? And he was a Nazarite from his birth till his death. But there are some rules, things that you couldn't do. You couldn't drink wine. You couldn't cut your hair. You couldn't touch a dead body. All those things made you a Nazarite. And they were visible reminders that you were special, that you had dedicated your life to God. Because you go back and you start drinking wine, and you think, oh, well, I'm a Nazarite. I can't do that. I'm, I'm dedicated to God for this, this specific part, this specific portion of my life. I'm going to be dedicated to God. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to touch a dead body. I'm not going to cut my hair. All these things are visible reminders that you are set aside for God's purposes. Mark is saying Jesus is a Nazarite. He is set aside for God's purposes. For a specific purpose here in Jesus' case, the salvation of man. He's on his way to Jerusalem. As he leaves Jericho, the next place he's headed, and the place that he's been headed geographically as well as um, metaphorically, I guess, in Mark's gospel is toward Jerusalem. He starts out in Nazareth in his hometown, and he starts making his way inexorably toward Jerusalem. Nothing can stop him. That's where he's headed. And he's finally getting very close. Now, as he leaves Jericho, he's a short 18 miles from Jerusalem. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Obviously, his death. He's set aside for God's purposes. And so when Mark says, Jesus the Nazarene, he puts that title on Bartimaeus' lips. What is Bartimaeus understanding about Jesus? That he is special. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a regular average, average Jew who has these incredible powers. He is holy. He's set aside for God's purposes. Jesus has some power. And Bartimaeus wants in on that power. He also calls him the son of David. Now, as you walk through history, this term, son of David, this, this is a messianic title, right? This is a title uh, that is referencing the coming Messiah. In the first century B.C., about 50 to 75 years before Jesus is born, this title, son of David, is attributed to the Messiah... But it's attributed in such a way that you are led to believe that this is the warrior king. This is the conquering savior. He's, he's not coming with a cross like the Jesus we understand, like the Messiah that we read about in the New Testament. That's not what the Jews thought of when they heard Messiah. When they thought Messiah, they thought white horse, sword, armies at his back, and he's got whoever the occupying force is in Jerusalem at that time. Right now it's the Romans. He's got them on the run, and they're fleeing the Holy Land. And he's going to sit back on David's throne. He is David's son. He enjoys David's throne. That is not, not what Bartimaeus thinks about Jesus. Why do you know that? What's Bartimaeus' plea? Have mercy on me. The Messiah that most Jewish people understood in the first century wasn't going to have mercy on sinners. He was going to have a sword for them. He was going to have some authority for them. But he wasn't going to have mercy on them. That term's not connected in, 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 in the, the intertestamental 
uh, the times during the two testaments, there's a lot of documents, and Son of David is not connected with mercy during that time period. He's connected with power. He's connected with vengeance. He's not connected with mercy. And so Bartimaeus has this deeper understanding of Jesus, which makes perfect sense when you think about what Mark is trying to get us to see. Because Jesus has been saying plainly now for several months at this point that he is God, that he must be rejected, that he must suffer and ultimately die. He's been saying that in front of 12 men that have been, should have been, convinced of his deity over the last three years. They ought to have seen him clearly, shouldn't they? If anybody in the world should have seen and understood Jesus' mission clearly, it ought to have been these 12 men. But they just don't get it. And if you go back to uh, Mark chapter 8, where Peter makes that proclamation, Jesus, at, right after that, says, you know, the Son of Man's got to suffer, and he's going to be rejected, and he's going to die. And you remember what Peter does to him? He takes him aside. He says, no, Lord, that's not what's going to happen to you. And Peter just stands in that right there for the rest of the disciples because that's what they were all thinking. This blind man who literally cannot see the hand in front of his face sees Jesus more clearly than his most devoted followers. It's kind of beautiful, right? That's what Mark's trying to get us to see here. If your heart's open, you can see him. If your heart's closed, if you don't want to see him, you're not going to get there. If you're not willing to pull the strands, if you're not willing to put in the work, it's just not going to get you there. And so true disciples, we see Jesus, right? We put in the hard work. We make the leaps of faith, if you want to call them leaps of faith. I think that's a misnomer because faith is built on evidence. And that's what Mark is all about. He wants you to see Jesus as evidence. Is he God or is he not? Okay, he's God. Then what are you going to do with him? Because there's no middle ground. You can't choose halfway. You don't, you don't have the option to choose. Well, I'm going to serve him for a little bit, um, but then I'm not going to allow him to be complete Lord of my life. I'm not going to submit to him in this area, but I'm going to submit to him in here. He says, it's not good enough. There's no middle ground. You're either completely devoted to him or you're acting like he doesn't exist, that he never died. No middle ground. Disciples see Jesus. We put in the hard work. We do the difficult things to have faith. Disciples are also resilient. This guy, Bartimaeus, uh, is being shouted down by a great crowd, is what Mark says. You're going to want to underline great, because Mark doesn't use that word very many times either. In fact, he only, only uses it four, five, six times in his gospel. He's going to use it uh, once when Jesus is telling the parable about the soils. You remember that? That's been an important point in Mark's gospel, because we keep coming back to that. It was at that parable where Mark says, well, if your heart is good, then you're going to be able to hear them. If, if your heart's bad, if you're rocky soil or thorny soil or, or the path, it's just not going to sink in. Well, how do you get to that soil? You just don't submit. You just don't submit. You hear what he says. All these people heard what he said, right? They had all seen his miracles, but there were people that had seen his miracles face to face. They were there when it happened, and they still didn't believe. How in the world can that be possible, right? Well, how in the world can, you, can we read Scripture and see what he says and done and did and still not completely submit to him? That's exactly what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. And so there's a great crowd in Mark 4 when Jesus tells these, this, these three parables about the different kinds of soil. Uh, there's also a great crowd at the feeding of the 5,000 and at the feeding of the 4,000. Mark uses those same terms. And so when Mark here says that Jesus is exiting Jericho with a great crowd of followers, you should see a, a, several thousand people in this crowd. Now at the front of the crowd, I'm assuming, is Jesus because he's always out in front. He's always leading, right? 
And that's what we keep saying in Mark. If you want to follow Jesus, you got to follow. You're not in charge. You have to submit. Submitting's hard. You have to submit. You've got to let him be in charge. And so I'm sure he's out in front here. Who's around him? Most likely the disciples, right? They're his closest, tight-knit followers. The Bible doesn't say this for us, but just pitching it in your head, there's no way the disciples are at the back of the line here. Jesus is in front. The disciples are most likely, most likely surrounding him. And then the crowd is surrounding them. And so when Bartimaeus starts shouting out from his roadside spot over there somewhere, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, what happens? Mark says the people at the front of the line start shouting back at him. Sit down. Stop talking. Shut him up. That's what they start saying. What, is, what does Bartimaeus do? What would you do if a thousand, three thousand, five thousand people start telling you to shut up? I'll tell you what I'll do. <laughs> I'll sit down and I'll shut up, you know? That's not what Bartimaeus does. He cries all the louder. That's what Mark says to us. Listen to this guy's de- desperation. Even a crowd that was shouting at him couldn't shut him up. He's resilient. Disciples need to be resilient, don't we? We need to be resilient. Because there's all kinds of things that come at us, that try to distract us, that try to make us lead half-hearted lives toward Him, that try to take away our submission. 2020 and 2021 are just excellent examples of that, right? All this stuff that tries to distract us, to keep us from what's really important. We need to be resilient. He refused, Bartimaeus refused to take no for an answer despite the intimidation. He's also focused. Look at this guy. Uh, In verse uh, 50 of chapter 10, he throws off his cloak. Now, you're probably going to want to underline that that one too because there's something there that I'd never thought of before, before I started studying for this lesson. Why does he throw off his cloak? He's got clothes on underneath it, right? He's most likely, this, this cloak uh, is kind of like a toga, like you would think of as a toga. So he's wearing something underneath it. This is more like a cloak, you know, more like a jacket or something. So why does he throw that jacket off? Why does he throw the cloak off? He's in a rush to get to Jesus, right? He finally, like, they're saying, come, come on. And so he throws, takes the time to take his jacket off and throw it away. That doesn't make any sense. So what's he doing? It seems to me that it's likely that he wasn't wearing the cloak. Uh, I found one source that said that in his day, the first century, it was common for beggars to lay the cloak, this outer coat, his cloak across his lap. And people would throw their alms, their money that they were giving him into the cloak. So what's he do here? He picks up the thing that was holding all the money that he had gotten, how he was going to provide for himself and his family, what he was going to eat that night, and he throws it. He's blind. He's not going to be able to find that again. It's gone. So not only is the money gone, but most likely his cloak is gone, and it's what's going to keep him warm tonight. You're beginning to see the urgency with which Bartimaeus wanted to reach Jesus. He had put all of his eggs in Jesus' basket, hadn't he? This is complete dependence. He was focused. Nothing was going to allow this man to not reach Jesus. Not his money, not his own welfare. He was getting to Jesus. We need that same kind of determination. We need that same kind of dogged focus. So many things want to pull at us, don't they? They want to distract us. We have to be determined. More than anything else in this world, more than our bank accounts, more than even our own safety to reach Him. It is the most important thing a disciple can do. We have to be focused. Here's another term you're going to want to underline. In uh, verse 51, my translation, the ESV, has 
Bartimaeus saying, Rabbi. He doesn't say Rabbi. I don't know why they translated these words like they have, but he does not say Rabbi. He says, Rabboni. Now, you might remember that term because it's only mentioned one other time in all of Scripture. It's found on the lips of Mary Magdalene when she comes to the tomb on Sunday morning and Jesus isn't there. And she turns around because someone's spoken to her. She thinks it's uh, maybe a gardener or somebody that's taken Jesus' body. And then finally he gets her to understand it's him. Do you remember the term that she uses for him? Rabboni. It's this term of complete surrender. She's, she and Bartimaeus here are saying, My Lord and my Master, you have complete control over my life. With this one little term, Mark helps us see Bartimaeus' complete trust in Jesus. Rabboni. Disciples have to trust Jesus completely. We put all of our eggs in His basket. If He's not faithful, if He's not true, if His promises aren't solid, we lose everything. Because we've sacrificed our lives here to make sure that His principles are upheld. In the hopes that after we're done here, He'll be faithful to us after our deaths. He's faithful here, right? He's going to be faithful there too. Rabbi and I, my Lord and my Master, we trust Him completely. It's what disciples do. This is the model. Bartimaeus serves as the perfect example of what a disciple is for us. He challenges us, doesn't he? he? He takes discipleship to a brand new level, a deeper level maybe than what we've experienced to this point in our own lives. Maybe you need to become a disciple of his today. Maybe it's time to put all of your eggs in Jesus' basket, to give your life over in baptism, to have your sins washed away. What you sacrifice when you come to Jesus, and you sacrifice quite a bit, right? Jesus is clear with that. You need to stop and count the cost. Stop and think about what you're going to give up to become a disciple because it's not an easy life. Is it worth it? Absolutely. It's not an easy life, so stop and count the cost. Think about what you're going to give up. He says once you've done that, you'll find that what you give up is nothing next to what you gain. So today, maybe you need to make that decision to become part of his family, to have your sins washed away, to give your life, to submit to him. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning, and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be the model disciple, as Jesus himself defines it. If you have any need this morning, we want to help you in any way we can. Why don't you come as we stand and sing? Would you be free from the burden of sin?
close this morning with hymn number 378, 378, sing the first and last, look at this, first and last verse, <clears throat> then Brother Alan Payne will lead us in prayer. Just a few words to the wonderful Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we've had to be together this morning with our brothers and sisters and to sing songs into your name, to study from your word, and to worship you, Father. Father, we're so grateful for all that you've blessed us with. We pray, Father, that you will watch over us as a congregation. Father, help us to learn to trust you in all that we do. Father, help us always to strive to be so Christ-like that when people see us, they see Christ. Teach us, Father, to help us to love one another. Help us to love all the, in the world who come, we come in contact with. May they see Christ in us. Father, we again thank you for all you've done for us. We pray that you would bless us and forgive us when we do wrong. Till we meet again, it's in Christ and we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, <boy. coughs> the allergies get me today. Oh, yeah. I'm going to finish on this guy. Yeah, hard time this past week. Even Alex Minutes does not keep me dry, you know. I made last night. I usually, I don't think I made that. I don't, anyway, I made last night.